Hey everyone, this is Know Your Potential episode 17, where we talk about the crypto markets, regulations, accredited investing, and what is the Ethereum merge happening early next year. You're listening to Know Your Potential with David and Phil Mio, your source for motivational insight and discussion of all things relating to business, technology, and life. We banter and interview like-minded individuals, striving to be the best version of themselves, generate value for society, and achieve the life they want to live. Hey everyone, it's Phil Ngo here. Hey everybody, and this is David Ngo. I hope you guys are all doing well. Welcome back. And uh, today we're going to be talking, uh, or at least starting to talk about some crypto again, which uh, a lot of people love to hear us talk about. Well, it's always more fun to talk about crypto when you see the price kind of skyrocketing again, right? So, I mean, we've had a pretty rough past few months. Uh, you know, we went as high as 65,000, dipped as low as 29,000 roughly. Uh, so again, now, I guess a few months since at 29,000, we are back up to 55,000 as of today. So that's a pretty, it's almost like a 85% increase in three months, I think it is. So pretty nice. Is, is Bitcoin just getting more scarce or is your money just being devalued like crazy? <laughs> hard to say, hard to say right now, right? So, I mean, uh, for, one of the main reasons I find why what Bitcoin went up in price yesterday was of the news, uh, the big news that George Soros and his, his fund are invested into crypto now. So pretty much now you have one of these old school, old timer guys who I think he's about not 80 some odd years old right now. And he pretty much says, hey, I'm invested into crypto also. So now how, I, how we kind of see it is pretty much all these other guys who all have the millions and billions of dollars saying, hey, if George Soros is doing it, maybe we should start dabbling in it as well. Same way as when Elon Musk started, a lot of other guys kind of jumped on board at the same time, right? Yeah, I wonder what, what it's going to take for, uh, for more of the funds to jump on board because he's not, he's not the first one. You know, like we've seen like great traders like Paul Tudor Jones already invest into this. Like a lot of people who are much more of a visionary uh, already jump on board with this. So George Soros was just, I believe, a matter of time. Yeah, you know, again, it's one of those, just a matter of time, like you said, and every day there's always like one or two more people hopping on board. And how I see it is there's always more people kind of hopping on board and joining this whole Bitcoin trend, as some people are calling it, uh, than there are people leaving, right? There are more things getting developed uh, for crypto. There are, it's, it's easy to get onboarded. Uh, there's a lot more uh, money being poured into this industry as well, as you know, Phil, with what you're working on right now. Well, yeah, he's also like um, selling a bunch of stocks in his fund just to, you know, in, diversify into crypto, which is very interesting. Well, I mean, um, you need to, right? He can't just magically yeah. pull money out of his ass and be like, hey, here's extra money to buy crypto. So he has to sell something to, you know, to have money to get into the Bitcoin. So again, yeah, I think he, it's a smart decision on his end, though. He could have even bigger balls, kind of like Michael Saylor and just, you know, raise convertible notes <laughs> to buy think- Bitcoin. Michael Saylor is like a whole other level though. He's like the biggest Bitcoin bull ever, which I appreciate him for that. But again, there's extremes to every everything, right? And he's definitely the more extreme part of, I'm going to borrow money from the banks to go all in on Bitcoin, which is, uh, I don't know if it's recommended for investing usually, you know, to borrow money from the banks to, to invest. That's usually a big no-no, I feel. <laughs> uh, you know, when you hold on to that much Bitcoin and you know that the price long-term is going up, you are the bank. <laughs> you're not wrong you're not wrong but I, i'll tell you one guy who i know is not buying bitcoin who xi jinping 
<laughs> China's not getting into this game anytime soon. I mean, I don't know if it's a matter of getting in or it's everybody is getting out. So it's a huge exodus right now in China, right? So pretty much for those that aren't aware, they banned Bitcoin for, I think, the seventh time. But this time, it's been a lot more serious. So pretty much anybody who touches Bitcoin, who has uh, Bitcoin, who does exchanges, even if you're not in the country, but you're a Chinese citizen and you're involved in the Bitcoin or crypto industry, apparently you can still get in trouble. You can still get punished for that and go to jail for that. So uh, they are being a lot more extreme on that end now. So how do you feel about this whole China banning Bitcoin again, Phil? Uh, it's it's old news to me, to be quite honest. Like it's, um, I just think they're really throwing a huge opportunity out the window without uh, necessarily... I mean, they probably thought about this long and hard because the thing with China is they're all about social stability, right? And this is really like the whole Bitcoin movement, the whole crypto anarchists, like this stuff is meant to disrupt, um, you know, like what we're, what we're used to and the systems that have been put in place by the wealthy and the elites that make the rules. Um, this is supposed to disrupt that which is completely against what China's policy is in regards to maintaining social stability. So I guess I'm not surprised that this is happening, but it's happening for like the 10th time <laughs> because you can't really like ban, ban Bitcoin. Like you're going to shut down the internet or something. So that, that's a funny thing, right? So pretty much when China came out and said, hey, we're having the ban on all the miners and we're really, really banning you guys all for real, the price dipped pretty hard. It had like a, it did affect the price. I think it dropped down on some insane like 10, 15% or so in a matter of a couple of days. But since it's since then, it's completely rebounded and gone much higher since. So, I mean, again, clearly a lot of people who were uh, shaken out, they lost out because they sold at a really cheap price. But again, there's a lot of people like you and I who have been in it for quite a few years now uh, where we've seen this happen time and time and time and time again. And we understand that Again, as much as China wants to ban Bitcoin, like you said, there's no way of really banning Bitcoin itself. It, it's just out there. It's on the internet. You can't just ban the internet, China. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can definitely try, but there's always ways around things, especially with technology. So like, like for example, if you were a miner in China and you had like a bunch of like ASIC mining devices in your factories, like it's not that those, um, those mining units are useless now. You just got to move them somewhere else. Like you're not going to be putting them in in like Xinjiang anymore, you're going to move them to like Texas. And then you're pretty much like diversifying uh, the mining power of Bitcoin into various different parts of the world, which is actually really a good thing. But I think it, it all comes back down to control again, right? Like you were saying how China likes to control everything. And with Bitcoin, they can't control it. So what it is, is apparently they are coming out with their own uh, digital yuan currency of their own, right? So again, for them, they want all of the people in China to be using their yuan digital currency because it's it's pretty much comes from the central government, which they can see and track every single digital yuan, where it is, how it's being used, who it's going to. So again, there are ulterior modes as to why China wants to ban Bitcoin itself because um, they can't control it. It's not theirs. And they just want all their citizens to use be using their own currency. So again, it makes sense as to why they're doing it. But again, we'll see how that plays out in the coming years, really, right? Well, one of the, the big things is um, the, the technology itself is actually uh, pretty astounding because blockchain can be used just like the internet for good purposes and for nefarious purposes. And the great thing about what blockchain can do if you control the blockchain is you can see everything and you can control everything and like pretty much near real time. 
which is like a dream for an authoritarian government uh, to oh, be yeah. able they, to they, get that kind of data. They can stop any money anytime. They can reverse any transactions from anywhere. They can delete money from any account. Whatever they want to do, they control it. And of course, that makes so much sense to them. Again, for them, the whole blockchain concept behind it was probably one of the most genius thing that ever happened. And they're just trying to figure out how can they use this to their benefit, which is uh, unfortunate for all those citizens in China. But uh, for, I guess, the Chinese government, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And then for the rest of us, um, it's actually a great thing because it allows more of that opportunity to shift outside of China and into other places like the U.S., as long as they're willing to make coherent policies around the technological innovations and the legalities of uh, dealing with cryptocurrencies and blockchain. So I see this as a great win as long as um, the other countries outside of China now are able to actually use this to their advantage and start attracting that crypto talent and developing and actually making it easier for people to use this kind of stuff uh, around the world outside of China. And that's what it is, right? The reality is crypto is the whole industry is not disappearing. It's not going anywhere anytime soon. So the sooner these governments, you know, Canada, US, whichever ones around the world decide to adopt it sooner and help encourage it and help the industry as a whole, they can be the leader in this industry versus being the, I guess, uh, the enemy of this field. And again, it's only going to keep growing. There is no way for you to stop. You can stop in one place here, one place there. But again, people want crypto. People love what it is, what it, stand, what it represents. And there's no way to stop it. People are going to get what they want. How they get it is just like the laws only just make it a little more difficult for you to obtain certain things. But if people want something because there's actual tangible benefits to utilizing a certain system or having uh, something like a, like a money that is not state backed or anything like that, if people are willing to use it, the market will decide that. And yeah, having legal roadblocks makes it difficult um, and makes it uncertain. It's not necessarily a straight path. But if people see the benefits of what blockchain technology does for money, for example, fighting inflation, uh, people want to flock to things like that. And it's going to be very hard to stop, especially if the US government decides to just keep handing out checks, printing money. Um, like, there's no reason for people to want to use your money if that's what you're going to be doing with it. No, it's true. And, and again, talk, speaking about um, you know, governments and pretty much what it means now, because you know, crypto itself is a bit more mature now. We're about uh, how old is crypto? Would you say since 2009? Would you say so? I guess 12 years now. Yeah, so now when Bitcoin launched. Yeah. So now that it's about 12 years old, now that I guess the governments and everyone is starting to take this more seriously. Now this is when people start. Uh, there are more eyes on it. There are more regulations, right? So this is where we're kind of at the special, I guess, time of you know crypto right now, where governments are really understanding. Hey, this is for real. There's a lot of money going on. Now we need to start regulating this. So one of the the guys, Gary Gensler, um, he is the SEC chairman, and uh, pretty much for the longest time, he has been a very big critic of. Bitcoin as well, saying how bad it is. And another very uh, famous person who, who also is totally against this is Elizabeth Warren as well. She pretty much says crypto is bad. Crypto is evil. It is only used for drug people, drug money, and you're doing nothing but illegal stuff on it. And they're all trying to figure out how to pretty much control all of this as well. Mm -hmm. But luckily, um, Gary Gensler recently just said that he is not, they are not planning to ban Bitcoin which is also one of the other reasons as to why 
crypto itself has gone up in the past few days because for the longest time we always thought or assumed he was very against it but for him to pretty much say no we're not planning to ban it like china uh that's a very positive news again it depends on how you look at it right yeah actually the story with gary gensler so he was actually before he took over as sec uh chairman he was a professor and he was teaching you know blockchain and cryptocurrencies to a post-secondary audience like I believe he was either at MIT or another like high-end school actually teaching people about blockchain. So when he stepped into the role of the SEC, the crypto markets kind of looked at that as a really good thing. We have a guy who really understands this technology now sitting on the seat that enforces, you know, securities legislation. And um, we, from like the last couple of months, had been uncertain as to what his stance was in terms of, you know, uh, cryptocurrencies, which was very surprising. Uh, only recently now has he come out and actually said straight up that they're not looking to ban cryptocurrencies. Uh, and like, you know, this shouldn't have come as a surprise to people, but like from the, for the last few months, it's been very difficult to see where he stood in terms of regulating cryptocurrencies. Now, Elizabeth Warren is a completely different story. She's always been ignorant from the start in regards to what blockchain is and what it's being used for. So there's a, a little bit more of a sort of um, disapproving look, at least from the crypto community in terms of how she views how cryptocurrency should be regulated. And she naturally being an educator and a teacher is very much like a nanny to most people, where if you, if, if she sees like, you know, the crypto markets dipping like more than 10% a day, oh, that's, that's awful. You know, like people are losing their money. People don't have money to lose like 10% a day. And the thing is, she's not taking like a holistic view and looking at GameStop or AMC. <laughs> like this stuff happens in regulated markets all the time too. And she's not saying anything about that. Um, she's just very much like, like a mother to most people and just like trying to pat you on the head and say, hey, it's probably a good idea to, you know, not gamble, you yeah. know? And making making rules to say like, hey, David, you know what? You shouldn't you shouldn't gamble because we don't believe you have enough assets to cover yourself and to feed yourself if you decide to put it all on red tomorrow. <laughs> so that's the thing with Elizabeth Warren. You know what? Um, I do agree with a lot of her policies and her opinions, and I do think that she does have like a good intentions, good heart behind all of this. But like you said, she's pretty much. Um, trying to be too much of like a nanny or a helicopter, uh, telling everybody what they can or shouldn't do, what is dangerous, you shouldn't be drinking, you shouldn't be gambling, you shouldn't be doing this because it's unsafe, you shouldn't be doing all of that. And again, like you, like you said already, all of this is already going on in the stock market. It's not something new. So all of a sudden, she's pretty much saying that, um, no, with crypto, it's too volatile because you know, in one day, like you said, you can be up this much and down 10% the next day. And one of her um, argument was that recently, because uh, I think Ethereum went down like 10% roughly and Coinbase was also down. She goes, you see stuff like this is really, it's really bad. It's, un it's not being regulated. So it's not being taken care of, which you no, know, I do agree up to a certain point. But for her, again, she just really wants to make sure that everything has to go through the government to make sure that the government is protecting all the retail investors. That's kind of her, her story and her way of saying it. But again, no retail investors right now are saying, hey, come protect me. There's not one person who's in crypto asking for that. That's, that's the issue here, right? So um, she's trying to, I don't know if you want to call it, fix a problem that's not there, or maybe she's thinking it's going to be there in the future, right? So again, 
her idea is is good, but I don't know if that's works the same way right now for crypto. Do do you really think that that people like the SEC or like Elizabeth Warren are putting these rules in place to protect retail investors, or are they actually abolishing the opportunities for normal people like you and I to be able to participate in markets of which we can, you know, make a, a living off of? Yeah. So again, the funny thing about, about this is that she pretty much says and assumes that, hey, because you're a retail investor, because you don't have a lot of money, you should not be uh, investing into these type of high risk things or whatever it is. Whereas I guess with her, it goes, oh yeah, with all the bankers and all the big money, oh, these guys have millions to spend, millions to lose. Let them risk it. It's not a big deal. And again, she's trying to play the, the good guy as an I am protecting the retailer because stocks goes up and down. It's, it's very risky. But again, I don't think it's really up to her to, to say that. And as you mentioned before, again, how it's currently working in the current system is, um, you know, these banks, when they have uh, any IPOs, they're releasing these shares only to their VIP clients before it even gets into retail. Whereas with crypto itself is when, when a company goes public per se, and they release their tokens out, it's available to anybody and everybody right away. So again, that is very, very different from how crypto works and how the stock market works right now. Well, also just with, when it comes to securities regulations, one of the things that shuns a lot of people who do not have assets to be able to risk in the eyes of the government um, are, are the same people that are getting shut out from the best opportunities. Like if you had known in 2013 that Coinbase was going to be a huge multi-billion dollar company because they're dealing with Bitcoin and and becoming like the retail exchange for Bitcoin, you weren't allowed to invest in that because you were deemed not an accredited investor, which basically means you don't have enough assets to cover risky investments, aka you're poor, too yeah. poor to actually invest in something like Coinbase back in 2013. Well, can you have imagined if somebody, you know, who didn't have a lot of money, but knew that Coinbase was going to become like a multi-billion dollar company, but was actually shunned of it because the government was trying to become a nanny and say no you can't you can't even make an educated guess to participate in this in this private market or this and, private sale and that's the thing right to be a uh, an accredited investor how much do you need to have minimum i forgot we were talking about it recently yeah so in canada at least it's five million dollars in assets and yeah. that cannot include your primary residence and um that's also i think there's there's that route but then there's also another way to qualify which is making like i think it's over two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year for so pretty much years. you either have to have five million dollars in asset or be earning a quarter million dollars a year to be able to even sit at the table to play with the big boys that that's that's the current system we're, that's we're the buy-in yeah yeah that's, that's the buy-in right now uh <laughs> compared to crypto which again absolutely is very volatile yes there are a lot of fake companies that they come out with great ideas that turn into nothing eventually but at the same time the great thing is that it could be a great company, a great idea that's just beginning. And someone with $1,000 can come in and say, you know what? I'm going to put $1,000 and invest this into this completely new company. And if that company somehow magically does 10X, 100X, or whatever it is, then, hey, this $1,000 became, you know, 100K or a million dollars, whatever it may be. Whereas in the real stock world, you would not have that opportunity with that $1,000. You tell them you have $1,000 and you want to invest into a new company, they'll just laugh at you and tell you, please walk out the door. That's the reality <laughs> of how it is right now, right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you wouldn't even be able to get the opportunity to invest uh, because you are deemed too, too at risk, aka too poor.
<laughs> so again, pretty much them telling us what we can and cannot do with our money is kind of where uh, where Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth Warren is right now. And that's kind of doesn't make any sense to me, if you ask me. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, like people are are smart enough, I think, at least, you know, some people may not be rich, but does not mean they're not intelligent. So the way accredited investors and that sort of realm works, is kind of discriminatory um, economically to people. Uh, just because you don't have X amount of money in assets or you don't make over like 250K a year, you're already shunned out of these opportunities. But you could be the smartest math whiz. You could be making like great bets in terms of like what, uh, what will 10X in the next like couple of years. Or just having you, good foresight. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it's not knowledge-based. That's the problem. So like there has been some progress in terms of uh, changing some of these accredited investor laws that allows for educational merit to be a qualifier, which I think is much more fair if they were to leave these rules in place. No, again, completely makes sense. And again, what's very interesting or cool is that in 2021 now, there are so many, so many people that are millionaires because of crypto. So had it not been for crypto, they would have never had these opportunities. They would have been a regular person, let's say, and they're going to the regular nine to five job, hoping to make it big and, and whatever it is. But again, the right now is that because this whole industry kind of just blew up and appeared out of nowhere, let's call it, appeared out of nowhere, blew up, and it gave a lot of opportunities to a lot of people that would have never had this chance because they would have had to play by the same rules and games the way how it's always been. But now all of a sudden the rules have kind of changed or a new game has appeared. Uh, that's when there's a lot of problems going on right now with the governments. They're not happy about that. They're not happy that you have a whole new game and you're not playing their game anymore. Well, well, what's interesting is like, you can even argue this is probably one of the greatest wealth redistributors uh, in, in the world or has ever happened. Um, and the problem is, I don't know why the government kind of sees it that way. Um, I think it's great to have a middle class. It's good to have people, you know, make enough money to cover their bills, have disposable income to reinvest back into the economy. Why is it such a bad thing to, 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 you know, have a middle class. And we can see the divergence in terms of the wealthy getting more wealthy exponentially and the poor getting poor a lot faster, especially with inflation, stuff like that happening. Um, so why is it so bad for things like crypto to allow opportunities for normal people like you and I to be able to find that 10x, uh, to be able to, you know, uh, be like invest in great companies that we think have potential, um, and then we buy like their tokens, for example, instead of buying their quote unquote securities uh, because we're not allowed to in uh, traditional finance. And, that, and that's what's cool right now. Pretty much anybody uh, with a few dollars, a credit card can actually go online and just start investing into any companies they want. And they don't need to have millions of dollars. They don't have to be an accredited investor. They can just literally charge a thousand dollars on their credit card and put wherever they think their money's gonna go. And uh, again, now they're, they're an investor. And again, the fact that they're even starting is a good way of how you kind of slowly get to the next level. Whereas a lot of people, you only get started when you're in the mid 20, 30. So now, if anything, this is a better thing. You have a lot of young kids, you know, I hear some kids, 16, 17, 18, even young, whatever it is, investing into these type of things. And, and it teaches them a lot about, about the market, about how money works, about uh, you know, supply, demand, scarcity, and everything. So again, I think it's uh, a really good thing for, for people to be able to be in this crypto industry right now. Well, yeah, I mean, I think I've made like the, the distinction between you know, working uh, for labor and working for capital. 
And the problem has always been for a long time, people always just work for a company, they get paid and that's it. You know, they have no stake in the company whatsoever. It's not really theirs. They kind of just show up from nine to four, uh, do their work and go and they get a paycheck. Well, the thing is a lot of people do actually care about um, being part of a company by owning like say stock or owning some share equity in, um, in the company that they work for by um, allowing people to have to work for capital it's a completely different experience because now you have you have some skin in the game you know like you have an incentive now for this company to really succeed uh, because you make a portion of whatever comes into the company and this is what's really interesting about crypto is because um, when you think about how like I'll use me as an example so I, I work on the ethereum like base layer. So it's, it's not like Ethereum's paying me or anything like that, but it kind of is. You can kind of see Ethereum as like a stock option almost for me. And anybody can participate and invest in Ethereum as well by just buying the token and holding on to it. Um, if you believe in the work that people are doing, if you believe that Ethereum has value, no one's going to stop you and say, hey, you're too poor to buy Ethereum. You're not allowed to like the freedom of opportunity to allow you to actually be like, I'm going to make a big bet that Ethereum is going to be like num like one of the largest um, sort of smart contract platforms in the blockchain space. And for me to make that bet, I could do $10. I can do $10,000, $100,000. It doesn't matter. As long as I have the money to be able to do it, you should not, you know, tell me that I can't do that. That's my money. And I'm going to, invest it the way that I want. And not only money, right? Like if you are probably one of the more invested into crypto that I, I know, as in not just financially wise, but also your actual time and labor, you're actually putting into crypto, into your work, into your company right now as well. So you're, you are fully invested into crypto. So again, you're pretty much, I don't want to say going all in on crypto, but again, you do see that this is where it's going forward into the future. And that's why you're not afraid to just put your money where your mouth is and even your time. Well, yeah, because one of the good things about working in the blockchain industry, especially when you're working at a, like a protocol layer level. So where we deal with like the base Ethereum protocol, like the whole, the whole nine yards with how it kind of works. Like I, not only hold Ethereum, like as like a stock equity kind of option, but I want to see my Ether, my Ether um, accumulate more in price. And I do that by actually working in it, learning more about it, contributing to the Ethereum network and ensuring that the time that I put into it is exponential in terms of returns because I hold Ether, right? So that's sort of the way I see it. So, I mean, with Ether right now also, so they're coming up with a big merge also right now, right? You want to explain a little bit more about that and how that works and what you're working on? Yeah, so actually like um, this week, there was a, uh, um, an interop event happening where uh, a lot of the people working on the base layer Ethereum protocol stuff, they all got together. Um, so, you know, to not turn this into like a huge tech podcast in that sense, like <laughs> for developers, basically people who are developing the software to run the nodes, to uh, basically create the consensus of what Ethereum is, got together and are testing their clients' interoperability with 
um, each other's clients in transition from proof of work to proof of stake. So we've been talking about the merge for a long time. The merge is basically uh, switching over the consensus uh, protocol from proof of work, which was using like miners and graphics cards and stuff like that to stakers in which you put money at stake to attest to the, um, the, the blockchain being honest, for example. And one of the biggest thing about this is that this pretty much takes it to become like super eco-friendly now, right? You no longer need to run all these uh, machines and computers and like you said, uh, uh, hard, hard drive, everything, just doing all of that work, consuming electricity as, as you know, the governments are calling it to from proof of work to proof of stake. So that's one of the biggest, biggest thing. Yeah, so you see those images in like the old China mining farms where it was just like factories and factories of yeah, like yeah, yeah. these machines running. <laughs> that is no longer required um, in when we move to proof of stake. So proof of stake is actually supposed to reduce the emissions of maintaining the, um, the blockchain by like 99%. So if you think of- uh, Which is insane, the, uh, 99% yeah. uh, reduction of emissions. Because think of it this way, instead of you expending electricity for, for proof of work and into maintaining the honesty of the blockchain, you are instead sacrificing capital by putting capital at stake instead of trying to put as much electricity into solving a math puzzle. Now it's just like, okay, well, I'm going to bet and put my money on the line to say this block is correct because um, I'm putting, you know, like, 32 are on the line to say that this is correct. So what you're really saying is that Ethereum is getting upgraded. It's going to be better than what it was. And technically the price should be keep, should be going up, continually to going up. That's technically what you're saying. That's all I'm hearing right now. Well, I'm not going to tell you straight up that the, the price is going to go up, but I'll tell you the sort of economic aspects of what this does to the Ethereum supply. So when we move to proof of stake, it's going to, first of all, uh, reduce the issuance of, of uh, Ether that comes out every time a new block is found. So the reason why this is, is because uh, now with Ethereum, uh, we're going to switch to a proof of stake system where you are attesting to blocks. So um, it basically is just, a, a different way of allowing Ether to secure itself on chain without having to expend um, like a ton of electricity, but also additional issuance to secure yeah. the protocol, which basically means that the inflation rate of Ethereum is going to drop to a point where it might even be deflationary. So if we've, um, I'm pretty sure we've talked about this before on a previous episode of the podcast, but with EIP-1559, which is a new fee mechanism that was implemented into Ethereum, some of the fees that are generated by the, the protocol now is actually being burnt. And that's one of the most sexiest thing Ethereum holders wanted to hear about, about this whole upgrade as well. Pretty much, again, burning Ethereum so that there is less, uh, less on the market or less available, which automatically means supply and demand prices should be continually going up bit by bit. So, well, you're also, you're also staking ether now, right? So when you stake ether, you can't just, you know, like pull it out. <laughs> like when you, when you have 32 ether, 
securing uh, like your validator on the blockchain, that is 32 ETH gone from the supply. And right now we have 200 something thousand validators on the network now. So you can imagine all of that ether being locked up and being kind of untouchable. And then on the other end of things, you have fees being burnt. So you have the combination of these two things that are greatly reducing the liquidity of ether available on the market. Yeah, and that's what it is, right? Too. So when you say ether being locked up as validator, pretty much what that means is that those all that Ethereum is stuck there. Nobody is able to sell it, so that people have less fear or concern of the prices being uh, dropping or tanking. So that's kind of again a reassurance to a lot of investors. Hey, there's a lot of people who have their ether locked up, and it's not getting sold or liquidated, and pretty much the price should be holding fairly well. Yeah, I mean you can kind of look at it as like a bond like, you know, like an Ethereum bond, you're kind of loaning your money to secure the system. You make, you make an interest rate. Um, the interest rate is determined by how many validators are staking on the network. So it's all like very dynamic in that sense. I believe the APR right now is somewhere around like 6%, uh, just based on the number of validators that are staking on the Ethereum network. So that is also, you know, like, Part of the reason why I guess people like to call Ethereum ultrasound money because they, they like to like, you know, Bitcoin itself is sound money because there's a fixed amount. There will yeah. only ever be 21 million out there. People like to refer to Ethereum as ultrasound money because not only do you not have a fixed sort of amount of Ethereum, but you have a decreasing supply of it because it's either one being staked and locked up or two, it's being burnt by the fees. On the network so so it sounds like there's a lot of stuff being developed for ethereum and uh you know i think uh there's a lot hopefully some good stuff we see coming up in the next few months yeah yeah yeah, for sure that's uh a pretty like i guess simple explanation on just the economics of it but otherwise like there's a lot of great content out there uh where people are explaining this like much in much better way than i am like if you want to listen to um, a podcast of uh, Ethereum researcher, Justin Drake, talking about this stuff. He talks on a podcast called Bankless Podcast. And um, there's an episode or a series of episodes of him talking about this concept of ultrasound money, which uh, may feed into your investment decisions. Nice. It's very good to know. So one of the other things we wanted to talk about was the Twitch hacks. That's pretty big. I think it's one of the biggest hacks right now. Well, yeah, I mean, this is like one of the things that we're trying to fix with blockchain web three, they call it, is the decentralization of a lot of these centralized uh, honeypots. They like to call them honeypots because it's basically servers full of information uh, in a centralized server that is just waiting for somebody to exploit. So somebody was able to get into um, into Twitch's internal networks and literally like they got everything from source code to to like um, partner salaries to like yeah so like I, products. I think it was one of those things where it says like about roughly a hundred gigs of data was posted online on Wednesday uh, so pretty much again I think it had like like you said um, how much they're they're paying for everybody uh, their salaries I think since from two thousand and nine middle of there sorry, 2019 up to date. So pretty much you had all the information, how, how much everybody was earning. And they actually even confirmed it with a few uh, few of the, the people who were working with Twitch asking, hey, is, does this dollar amount sound about right to you? And a few people said, yes, it, it is accurate. 
So meaning all the information is real, that actually it actually did get hacked. And uh, again, all the amount of information that was actually leaked on this is, again, one of the biggest hacks in a while. So it's quite insane with uh, oh, yeah, what happened yeah. to Twitch. Yeah, because um, it, it's not just like, you know, personal information. It's literally like the source code of Twitch. So you can see, like, imagine someone like getting Coca-Cola's recipe. Like that's, that's how bad it is. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think apparently it was supposed to be like an internal uh, someone that could have gone in only. It wasn't just something that could have been easily done. It was somebody internally that pretty much hacked it, got everything, like I said, all the source code, all every single thing about the company. And they pretty much laid bare on the internet for the world to see, which is uh, wild and insane. Yes, exactly. So, you know, like, that's the, the problem with centralized uh, entities and, and having all of your information in, in like a centralized service like that. And that's what we're trying to fix with, uh, with all this blockchain stuff. All right. Sounds good. So it's pretty good that we caught up with, uh, with, with what's going on in uh, the crypto world right now. Uh, thanks, Phil, for uh, updating us and letting us know what's going on with Ethereum. We have uh, high hopes for Ethereum. I know we're, we're both well invested into it and we are strongly believe in it. So let's keep pushing for Ethereum to keep, uh, keep going higher. Yep. Uh, then you have to let me go back to work and uh, actually keep building on Ethereum. <laughs> All right, Phil. It was great talking to you today. All right. Thank you yeah. for, for making your time. It was fun. Let's do this again soon. Yeah, for sure. We'll see uh, everyone in about two weeks time, which we'll try to aim to do another episode. Uh, so if uh, you enjoyed the content, please, please, please share uh, this podcast out with your friends and family. Uh, so we don't have to repeat ourselves as to like all this blockchain stuff because we talk about it all the time. Um, we just refer people to to the podcast. So that's know your potential, ngo your potential.com. Uh, and you'll find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and uh, an anchor and stuff like that. We will see you in about two weeks. Amazing, guys. Thank you very much and have yourselves a good one. <laughs>